Life can hit hard sometimes. One day everything seems to be going great, and the next we get sidelined by the unexpected. What do you do when the bottom falls out? Where do you turn when the storms hit? When the bank calls, when the job falls through, when that rejection letter comes in, when the doctor gives you the bad news? What or who do you cling to? Isaiah 41.10 speaks directly to the question. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God, our Father, is for you, even when it doesn't feel like it. Press on in faith. Cling to hope. Reach out to take hold of the hand of love himself. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on. All right. Good morning. How are you doing today? Yeah. Hey, can we thank our worship team one more time? What a great job you've done today. One of the definitions that we like to use sometimes thinking about the word worship, you know, what does that mean? It obviously means much more than music, but the idea of being preoccupied with God. And they do a great job week in and week out helping us kind of focus our gaze and our attention upon who he is. And my hope would be that this would continue to be a great worship service as we look at God's word together. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity. It's a privilege to get to be here with you today. I uh, hope you enjoy our Seattle morning today. It's a kind of nice thing, a little change of pace. So you wonder what the people in the Pacific Northwest do 90% of the time. And so today we get that. We're really glad you're here. We're in week four of a series called Hold On. We've been looking at the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. If you have a Bible today, you could open it there. Genesis chapter 41 is where we're going to be. We've been watching this idea of how Joseph keeps clinging to God when the bottom keeps falling out. So far in our first three weeks of our series, where we thought things were bad, they just keep getting worse. And so we're going to see today, how does Joseph keep walking in that direction? And we realize that Joseph's not alone. That though your story is different than his, and even the magnitude of his is pretty extreme, there are realities that you are facing even as you walked in the door today. For many of us, that feel as though we're in that season where it feels like the bottom has fallen out. And we've said throughout the series, some of us are actually coming out of one of those seasons. We've seen God be faithful, but it was not easy. And others of us, unbeknowingly, are going into one. So this series fits kind of our lives and what we're walking through. And what we want to keep seeing is, God, how do we hold on to you? And the reality is, is that should have been our posture all along, shouldn't it? It's just remaining consistent with that attitude. In your Trinity this week, if you have something like this, these are notes. You want to get those out. That'll help, us, help you track with us today and kind of as we're walking through the message. I want to give you a thought for a couple other things that are in your Trinity this week. Today is the last Sunday of what we've called our impact offering. That's funds that you have been so generous already. And this is our last weekend receiving those. It's helping our high school students, high schoolers. This is you. How many of you guys going to camp are planning on it right now? Okay, cool. So this is helping funds that are going to get these and others to high school camp this summer. So we're excited about that. And thank you for your giving. You can find, I think your students will even be after, out at the doors at the end of the service or out on the plaza. You'll see an easy up over there. Also, look inside your Trinity this week and you see this, this ad for INDOP. This is National Day of Prayer. It's this coming Thursday. And Trinity is going to be hosting 
an opportunity for us to gather as a church and pray together. It's not exclusive to Trinity. So if you have people that would love to come and pray for our city, our state, our country, invite them. They are more than welcome. We're going to meet at Ed Hales Park. It's that square right adjacent to Augie's Coffee. We're going to be there from noon to one. And I don't know how many of you are like me. I'm the kind of person that when we say we're going to get together to pray, I don't want to get together to talk about prayer. I don't want to get together to have someone teach me how to pray. I want to pray. And that's what we're going to do. You won't be on the spot, like no one's going to stick a microphone in your face, but we will huddle up into groups and pray for four different prompts about things going on in our world. And so I'm excited for that. And if you are paying attention, you know we need a lot of prayer as a country, as a city, as a state. So this is a great, great opportunity for us to join with other believers all over the country and pray together on Thursday. So it's Thursday at noon, Ed Hales Park. Love to see you there. It'd be a great opportunity to uh, be in community as we lift up our country. Well, as we are walking through this series, we have been learning a lot about perseverance. We've been learning a lot about perspective. We've been learning a lot about how to keep putting one foot in front of the next. What we have in the book of Genesis related to Joseph is a lot of the narrative, meaning we have the story. What we don't have are a lot of the feelings. We don't necessarily have a lot of the heartbeat. How was he doing with this? But we do see the action. And what the action keeps showing us is that through every setback, Joseph keeps being Joseph. God had given him this understanding through a dream and a vision that people were going to follow him. He was going to be a leader. And and no matter what the circumstances, Joseph just kept finding himself in what from our vantage point would be worse and worse situations. Joseph just keeps being Joseph. He's called by God and he's gifted by God to do what he does and no matter what the context he keeps showing up and that's the thing I want to put in front of you as we even see this today if some of you haven't been with us through this whole series but those of us who have you're going to see today take a huge turn and that's what I want you to understand is that Joseph has been so consistent and that's something that we want to do we want to do this we want to watch we want to watch as a favored son who believed he'd be on top of the world ends up in the bottom of a jail How does he respond to those changing of circumstances? But also, we want to walk. We want to walk in his sandals as he walks through these different situations and settings. And we want to see how did he cling on to God and continue to want to honor God in every part of his life, even when the going got really tough. And these are great examples, great lessons for us to embrace in our own lives. So today, what we do weekly is we talk about a now what idea. What are we supposed to do with this today? Here's our now what idea on your screen and in the notes. Be faithful in the circumstances that you're in until God gives you a new assignment. Be faithful where you are until God does something different, until he changes the equation. Let's look at it today in your notes. Number one, because God's timing isn't yours, be ready for opportunities he brings you. Because God's timing isn't yours, be ready. Be ready for opportunities that he brings to you. We're in chapter 41 of Genesis. Here are the first few words of verse 1. When two full years had passed. When two full years had passed. Now, out of context... That's what you know. You know there's a length of time that's going on. And you know that seemingly whatever was waited for has not happened yet. Two years have gone by. If you're here with us last week, this is where we left Joseph. Joseph had been given this ability to interpret dreams. And there are two fellow prisoners in his jail. He, he comes upon them. He, he's a prisoner. Un, he's wrongfully accused. Had no business ever being incarcerated in the first place. But as he has been there... 
His leadership has risen and the warden has just let him just, you be in charge, I'll put my feet up in my office. And so as Joseph is making rounds, he interacts with these two men. They're very glum, they're very down. They tell him that they've had these dreams they don't understand. He says, tell them to me, God will give you, God will give me the interpretation for you. And to one, the interpretation is you're going to be restored to your role as cupbearer of the king. And to the other, it's not going to work out so well. But to the one who's going to be restored, Joseph says, remember me. Remember me when you're back in that position and you have the ear of Pharaoh. You have the ear of the most powerful man on the planet. Three days after this dream is interpreted, and Joseph said it'd be three days from now, three days one is executed, the other is returned to his position. And those, those incredible words we left off with last week, and the cupbearer forgot to mention Joseph to Pharaoh. Now here we are, beginning in chapter 41, verse 1. It had been two full years. Now, get into Joseph's sandals for just a second. The way he had left the conversation, get back into his grid, the way he left the conversation, when you, not if you, when you get restored to your position, Remember to tell Pharaoh about my position. Why would Joseph had thought that would have taken more than two minutes? Cupbearer gets marched up to, the, to Pharaoh. Joseph has seen the dream, knows what's going to happen. And now day after day after day, there's no change. Two years. Some of you know what it's like to wait for a response that is outside of your control. Waiting to hear from someone else about the news. It's been two long years for Joseph waiting by the mailbox for some sort of change in his circumstances that he knew this cupbearer could have engaged, could have afforded him because of the power of Pharaoh. It's 24 months 104 weeks, 730 days, 17,520 hours. Watch this, 1,051,200 minutes. That's a long time to be waiting by the phone. Some of you know what this position is like because you've been there before. Not in a jail waiting to be freed, but you've maybe been in the prison of debt relief. Or waiting for that. Been waiting for the job offer. Been waiting for the medical test results. Waiting for the college acceptance. Waiting for the baby on the way. Waiting to even have a baby. Whatever it may be, you know that season when you were waiting. And every moment that was free, you're wondering, is today the day? Is, is even now the moment? Waiting for the email. Waiting for the phone call. Waiting for the letter in your box. And it doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen. I want you to see this. By all indications, though, while Joseph may have been, I would just think, somewhat disappointed that nothing transpired from that event, we have no indication that Joseph did anything but be Joseph. He kept serving in a leadership role. He kept honoring those who were above him and leading those below him well. And then we pick it up. That was just the first few words of chapter 41, verse 1. Let's continue. After two full years, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile and came out and went out of the river. There came up seven cows, sleek and fat, 
and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. I don't even know what that would look like, cows eating cows. That's really weird. (laughs) Then Pharaoh woke up for good reason. Bah! That's crazy. (laughs) Verse 5, he fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. And after them, seven other heads of grain sprouted thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them. Watch this, verse 9. Then, two years later, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today, today I'm reminded. Reminded of my shortcomings, Pharaoh was once angry with his servants. He imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And the things turned out exactly as he has interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man, well, he was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. So finally, two years later, this guy, oh, it dawns on him. And he was quickly brought up from the dungeon, When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Listen to his response, verse 16. I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, and he repeats the entire dream. Pick it up, the end of verse 24. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up, came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Listen to this. All of the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Joseph, excuse me, in two forms, is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. Okay, so this crazy sequence of events. And here, Joseph, out of the blue, right? He's just going on two years. At some point, though he was waiting by the phone, you kind of let it go. You just go, this isn't going to happen. This guy's never going to remember me. He's going about doing his routine, doing his duty, living out faithful, good leadership, and he gets a call. Hey, Pharaoh wants you, and now. Just imagine. Imagine the things, not even understanding. Maybe he'd heard it was to interpret a dream, but the point is, he's just thinking, what is happening right now? He gets cleaned up, shows up in front of Pharaoh, Pharaoh tells him this dream, and and Joseph says two important things. First off, Pharaoh says, I hear you can interpret dreams. And remember, Pharaoh had already brought all of his spiritual advisors. He already had the magicians and everyone from the empire. Nobody knew what these dreams meant. 
Then he calls some Jewish kid, or pre-Jewish, he's a Hebrew kid, from down in the prison, calls him to come up and give it a try. Tells him these dreams, and Joseph says, I can't interpret dreams, but God can. I follow him, and he'll give me the interpretation of what you dreamt. And as he gives him the dream, gives him the interpretation, the interpretation is not great news. Think about this. Don't be fooled on the one hand and go, oh, there's seven years of plenty, the, the fat cows. Okay, the seven skinny, ugly, cannibal-like cows, apparently, that eat up the other ones, the famine is going to be so bad, you'll never even remember the days of abundance. That's bad news. So I, do, I want you to do this. I want you to get into Joseph's sandals for just a second. The call had finally come. We heard from before his, his engagement with the cupbearer was, he was very honest about his situation. I've been wrongfully imprisoned here. I've done nothing wrong. I was sold as a slave. He, he would like to see the circumstances change. Finally gets the call. And when he's put in the position where he could actually say something that moves him up, that gives him an out, he doesn't take it. Now, I'm, I'm kind of useless to you on my own. God's the one who gives interpretations. And because I follow him, I can, but it's not because I'm so special. And then the dream that he gives him, don't you think that Joseph might have been tempted to say, and those seven fat cows and the seven great heads of grain, they're going to equal seven years of abundance. And I don't know about the other stuff. <laughs> it's never good to be the bearer of bad news. Joseph doesn't flinch. Only God can interpret dreams, and your dream actually has a really bad ending. Question, what would you have done? You've been at this for a long time. The bottom has fallen out numerous times. And when everything is okay, I think it's relatively easy to make good decisions that honor God. But when we find ourselves in the pit, it's interesting how our theology and how our morality can change. So I want to show you, this is something I believe that Joseph did. He resolved before the situation ever happened, God, I'm going to honor you in every situation in which I find myself. And by the way, his track record has shown that. He's been an amazing report, someone that could be responsible, someone who people could give uh, responsibility away and leadership away. He has demonstrated godliness and righteousness all the way through. When he was approached by Potiphar's wife, he resisted and said, I'm not even going to be in this situation. At every point, he made the decision in advance to do what he knew would honor God. This is no different. Take a look. Up on your notes, up on the screen, I put four quadrants. I want you to look at these boxes for a minute. Because here's what I want you to do. I want you to process the things that you're going through right now, the things that you would even be tempted when given the opportunity because the situation seems so dire, I just want out. You might be tempted to do one of these things that doesn't fit the box that honors God. <clears throat> Every one of these three boxes that aren't colored blue have a sinful response built in. Let me give you a scenario. Let's say it's this. <clears throat> Let's say the desire is that you want to approach 
your boss, your, the person you directly report to, and you want to tell them, I could do more. I could take on more responsibility. I could be involved in more leadership. I could be more productive if you'd give me a chance. I don't think that's a sinful or wrong thing to want to pursue. How you do it could be absolutely a train wreck. So to say, hey, I could take on more responsibility. I could be more productive. Would you consider me for more leadership in our business, company, school, whatever it may be? Let's say that's the issue. So look at what you could do. You could do the wrong thing the wrong way. The wrong thing would be to come to that direct report and to inflate your numbers, to show him or her better scores and you have better reviews, whatever the issue may be, to make up a bunch of stuff that isn't true because you want this opportunity. That'd be the wrong thing. And you could do it the wrong way where you go, and by the way, everyone that I work with is a moron. They don't get their jobs done. They're irresponsible. And you could trash people on the way of doing the wrong thing of being deceptive. That's bad on top of bad. Very seldom do we end up in that quadrant with decisions that we're making. We, we understand the word of God enough. We have a basic sense of morality. We'd say, I think that's a bad idea. Okay. But watch. Go to this quadrant. Wrong thing right way. Wrong thing, right way. You're in the same conversation now. It's a whole new scenario. Same boss you're trying to impress, trying to say, I'd love to have more responsibility. And as you're talking to them, you just kind of share some data that's not totally true. You share with them things. You maybe take credit for what other people did. Whatever it may be, you're deceptive. But along the way, you make a vow, I'm not going to trash anybody. Now, we would say, hey, Good job to not destroy people on your way to the top. Oh, but by the way, you should have told the truth about really what your performance has been and not change the numbers, not bring deception into it. Huh, it's interesting. I, I, I did the wrong thing, but at least I did it the right way. Have you, ever, have you ever caught yourself in your head being able to convince yourself of things like this? At least I'm not going to do that. Well, maybe deception was the wrong thing in the first place. Let's go up to the other quadrant. Right thing, wrong way. You're going to say, God, I'm going to make a commitment. I want to bring this conversation up with my direct report. I'm, I'm just going to present the facts. I'm going to show what my reviews have been. I'm going to show, give an honest interpretation and, and evaluation of how I've been doing, what I think I could handle. But it might come out somewhere in the conversation that I work with morons. Now, I'm not going to lie about anything of what I've done. I've really worked hard. I really can. But if it comes up that people around me aren't doing a great job, I'm sure going to share that in a little more. Okay, great. You made a commitment to not be deceptive in the way you brought the information, but trashing people you work with is not a good idea, not a, in any way honoring to God. So we do this in our head. We say, well, at least I didn't. Yes, but I still did. And finally, in this blue quadrant, doing the right thing the right way, it's coming to a direct report and saying, you know what? Look at my track record. Watch what I've done. I really believe I'm ready for more responsibility. I'm ready for more leadership. And, and in doing that and presenting an honest case, then being able to say, and you know what? I'll speak honestly about anything you ask me about, including the people I work with. Watch this. As you and I sit here today, 
And let's say the things in our lives, we're not in a situation that then more than anything in the world it seems we want out of, you and I will make that blue quadrant decision most times. The problem is, when we find ourselves in a pit and when the bottom has kept falling out, you just want the bleeding to stop. And it's interesting how you can change the decisions that you earlier would have been so strong about. Here's my point. Joseph made the decision in advance. God, if you ever put me in a place where I have the opportunity to demonstrate what I can do, I'm going to do it. And by the way, he had been. He'd been doing it in Potiphar's home. He'd been doing it in a jail cell. He's going to do it again in front of Pharaoh. He is going to make the decision before the opportunity ever arises. And I want to encourage you in whatever thing you are working through right now, decide in advance to do what's going to honor God rather than kind of trick yourself, rather than kind of in your head talk yourself into things that are not honoring to God, sinful choices that you can rationalize away. That brings us to our second point today. Number two, when God presents an opportunity, step forward with his boldness. When God presents us an opportunity, step forward with his boldness. Chapter 41, verse 33. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man. By the way, this is Joseph still talking. He's interpreted the dream. He's already told him what's coming, but then he keeps talking. Let Pharaoh find a discerning and wise man, put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. He's giving him an action plan. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh, watch this. Pharaoh asked them, asked his cabinet, can we find anyone like this guy? This prisoner standing in front of me, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. If you have been with us the first three weeks of this series, right now you should be saying, what? It always gets worse for this guy. Every time there's an opportunity for something to go bad, circumstances that he can't control fall in on him. Now we see an incredible shift. And I want you to see something. Did those words sound familiar to you? Only with regard to the throne Will I be in a greater leadership? I will make you in charge of all of the people. Did that sound a little bit familiar? Like when Potiphar said, right? His first guy he was a slave for. The only thing I'm going to worry about is what's on my plate. You lead everything else about my house. It sounds a little bit like the warden of the prison who when Joseph gets there, demonstrates responsibility, demonstrates leadership. God blesses what he's doing and he says, you be in charge of the prison while I sit in my office with my feet up on the desk. Pharaoh, God has given you some kind of insight and wisdom none of us possess. 
I will make you number two in the land and everyone will report to you. I want you to see this. Do you notice that the only thing that changed was who was talking to him? But the amount of blessing and the amount of responsibility and leadership was always the same. Could Joseph have ever known that when he's a slave in this guy's home that God is training him to rule the nation? Could Joseph have ever known when he is a a prisoner in a jail and serving in a role of leadership, no matter what his circumstances may be, that God is grooming him to work for Pharaoh? I would submit to you, I don't think he ever had that on his radar but that he simply said, God, wherever you put me down, I'm gonna be there. Wherever you put me down, I'm going to be, I'm gonna be present, I'm going to be focused, I'm going to be dialed in. It'd be generations later that a Jewish songwriter would recount the great deeds of Yahweh towards his people, and one of them was this narrative. Look at what it says, Psalm 105, verse 16. He being Yahweh called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. He's talking about the people of Israel who lived in Canaan. And he sent a man before them, though, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons to what he foretold came to pass. To the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him. The rulers of the people, ruler of the people set him free. He made him master of his household, ruler over all he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased and teach his elders wisdom. The psalm, the psalm is a song. It was rejoicing over God's faithfulness in the way that he sent Joseph ahead of his own people. We'll look at that more next week. But I want you to see this. Joseph would actually just become the first of many that God would use while God's people were in exile. Just a few generations later, Moses... Moses is going to be adopted by another Pharaoh's daughter, and as a result, he's going to play hide-and-seek in the palace of Egypt. A series that we began this calendar year, we saw Daniel and his three friends, just four Jewish young men that are taken, exiled away from Jerusalem, from their families, from their parents, from everything they knew, dropped into a totally pagan world called Babylon, and yet God uses them as they rise to the top and have amazing roles of leadership through multiple kings. It would be a woman named Esther. When God would have a king named Xerxes holding a beauty pageant through the land, and he picks this Jewish young lady to be his wife, Esther becomes queen Her relative, Mordecai, becomes second in the land, a little bit like this guy named Joseph. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah would be cupbearer to a later regime of Persian kings and would earn the favor with this king so much that the king would send him back to Jerusalem to build up the walls, not only to do that, but with all the supplies and all the labor. God has always found a way, always desired, designed the opportunities for his people to have roles of prominent leadership. Why? Because God is getting his thing done. And the simple question I have for you today, will you, will I adopt the same attitude? Those words from Esther are so powerful. God, you have placed me in this role, what? For such a time as this. 
In your notes, God wants to use you to influence those in your relational world in this unique season. God wants to use you to influence those in your relational world for such a time as this. I don't know how long the people you're doing life with have been in your life. I don't know how long, much longer they will be, but for now. But for this time, for this season, you have an opportunity to be an influential person in people's lives who do and don't know the Lord. This is the time. This is the opportunity, not waiting for some other day with a new set of people in your relational world. Even for the grumpy ones. Even for the challenging ones. Even for the ones you really dislike, God has put you in their lives for such a time as this. And you would say to me, but Todd, I'm, I, I don't have my act together. Todd, I, I, I don't have this amazing way with, you know what? If we had Joseph and Moses and Daniel and his friends and Esther and Nehemiah and Mordecai in front of us today, I believe they would all say something like this. I mean, we already know from Moses, I'm totally unqualified for this job. God, you better get someone else. How many of them would say the same thing and yet they would all agree what I had to do was rely on God and simply join, I wanted to join him in what he was doing. I wanted to join him in his mission. So question to you today, if you're a husband here in this room today, are you taking seriously your role as a loving leader in your marriage, striving to love your wife selflessly like Jesus loves his church? That's a leadership role you've been called to. If you're a parent here today, are you taking on your role as the primary discipler of your children? Are you taking that seriously? Intentionally influencing the ones underneath your roof, the tightest circle of your relational world. Are you helping them become more like Jesus? If you're a teacher, if you're a teacher in this room today, are you taking seriously the missional opportunity you have with the students that are in your world and under your influence? If you're a manager today and you give leadership to a group of people, are you taking seriously that role because you've been strategically, supernaturally placed in this role at this time with these people? How would God want to use you in their lives? Are you an employee? And do you have fellow coworkers that are going through challenging things in their lives that you could be a person who steps in and simply is are the hands and feet of Christ. You see, what if you stopped seeing yourself merely as someone who has a role, merely who, someone who fills a space and begins to think missionally, begins to think on purpose with what God is doing in lives around you? We would be people who are living for such a time as this. Finally, number three today, Joseph's story isn't so much about Joseph but about God and his sovereign orchestration of events to accomplish his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Joseph's story isn't so much about Joseph, but it's what God is doing, his orchestration of events. Keep reading 41 verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. 
Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonath Paneah, and he gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph, watch this date, was 30 years old. 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out of Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt, and he stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Not a fascinating name, Manasseh. God has helped me forget. The second son he named Ephraim. And he said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And listen to this last verse, and all the world, all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. I want you to catch the math. We started week one, Joseph is sold as a slave at 17. At age 30, he enters into Pharaoh's service. That is 13 years. 13 years of being a slave. 13 years of being a prisoner. But 13 years of being developed and groomed and prepared for all that God was going to do in his life. He moves from slave to master, from foreigner to ruler, from poverty to power. But I want you to hear this today. You would be remiss if you don't pay attention these last moments. Don't miss this today. How does this whole thing relate to us? Is it all about us? Is it all about that if you just wait around long enough, if you just hang around in the pitiful situations that you're in, that God will give you blessings galore when your time comes up? Is it about that if you can just endure enough difficulty now then there'll be some great prosperity waiting your endurance. Hear this so clearly, look in your notes. It's not about gaining some sort of thing that we deserve from going through tough times, but in seeing God's good and perfect purposes fulfilled through our lives. It's not about the fact that if you put in the time, now God owes you. 
There's nothing of this story that speaks to that. But what it is is saying, God, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation, I want to honor you there and fulfill your purpose for my life. Through your obedience, through your joining into what he's doing in and around you, that's what you're here for, to play your part in God's redemptive plan. I want you to see this today as we wrap it up. Joseph's role in Egypt wasn't simply to save the Egyptians from famine and starvation. It was much, much bigger than that. But something of such a greater magnitude, it was to orchestrate the reunion of a divided family. And the relocation of God's people to grow and prosper in a land none other than Egypt. You see, there was much more to this story. Much more that always there was much more to the story than Joseph could ever see. But what he committed to do, we would know you have 66 books in front of you. We're in the first book. Joseph simply realize, God, you're writing your story. Help me understand what paragraphs I'm living in. And help me be there. Help me be present. Help me be faithful. Help me keep relying on you. Will you, will I learn from Joseph's example? Will we embrace these truths to say, God, we want a people, want to be a people who live your purpose for such a time as this. So I want to encourage you this week, don't be someone self-absorbed in waiting, who's simply watching his or her influential opportunities walk right by. But engage now. Engage now in the opportunities for kingdom influence in the lives of people that God has placed in your world. And this week, be a person of intentional influence as you are rooted in Jesus reaching your world. Here's our now what idea. Be faithful in the circumstances that you're in until God gives you a new assignment. Let's pray. Father God, we have so much to glean, so much to absorb from the life of Joseph. We have seen in weeks prior the way he has held tightly to you, the way he has kept putting one foot in front of the next related to his commitment to you, just giving himself over to your plan, your desire, not being so consumed with his circumstances that he couldn't live out his purpose. And God, today we see a huge change. We see the tables turn for Joseph But the great news is, is Joseph just kept being Joseph. He kept living out righteous decisions. He kept living out the things you had for him, even when his circumstances became very favorable. God, help us. Help us be a people who do the right thing the right way. Help us to be a people who choose in advance to make those decisions before we ever get in that fray. Help us to be a people who take seriously the role of being intentional influencers in our world. Because God, there are people, even people that are sitting here today, people that we are in carpools with, people in our cubicle next to us, people in our classroom, God, on the list goes, who don't yet know this great news of who you are and what you've done for us. Maybe you're here today and that's actually the seat you're sitting in. 
You would say, Todd, I, I really have never responded to the invitation that God has made to me. We call it the gospel, this good news. And I want to encourage you today, there, there is nothing to wait for. There is no sense of having to go through hoops or wait to get your act together. Today's the day of salvation. So I would encourage you, pray these ABCs today. A is admit. Admit that you've been living life on your terms, not on God's. And what you knew before you even walked in the door today is that there is a soulish problem with you. There is a brokenness nothing has fixed. The Bible says that is the result of sin. You making your choices apart from God's and now you're dealing with that wreckage. The Bible says we begin by saying, God, I recognize I need a savior. B is to believe. To believe that Jesus is the only savior available. Believe that the God man who came to our planet 2,000 years ago. Believe that he lived a sinless life. Believe that he died a sacrificial death. Believe that he was raised supernaturally on the third day. Believe that he is who God sent to take your place, to take your penalty. See is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I trust that. I rely upon your debt paid for me at the cross. I rely upon that and I choose to live my life following in your footsteps, following your example. Today, you can know what it is to be forgiven. You can know what it is to walk in a right relationship with this great God we've talked about today. Father, we love you. Thank you for all that you are. We pray in Jesus' great name today, amen.